How are you? Uh, you know what? I've had it with this freaking intro is how I am. <laughs> Chuck it. No more intro. Sorry. No more Fun. intro, guys. It's just us. Hi. Coming at you immediately. Um, yeah. Welcome to History of Haunting. I'm Carrie. I'm Laura. I did get our names put back. That's a lot of aggressive energy. It is, but yeah. Good job. I Cheers. know. <laughs> Be like right in everybody's face as soon as it mm-hmm. <laughs> the intro's done. Oh wait, no more intro. That's right. We were done. Um, yeah. So I did get our names put back. Ship went real sideways last week. Everything fell apart. We hadn't like I guess used the program in a while, and so it was like, well, I'm just gonna <laughs> do whatever the fuck I want. Um. So yeah, that's uh, that's that. Uh, EVPs. Uh, how are you doing? You did Christmas shopping this weekend. <sighs> I feel like I've been doing a little bit here and there for a while, but yeah. I still have a few things to get, and um, it's a couple people to buy for that are difficult that I'm like struggling to um, get together like something for them, and then. Um, probably going to end up as gift cards. And then I just feel like I can't get everything. You know what I mean? Together. Like I'm just behind yeah. I'm constantly behind. So like I haven't wrapped anything, but my Christmas, the Christmas trees up decorated lights are outside decorated. Like I finally got all that done, but it's like, you know, yeah. everything I thought I'd have done weeks ago. I'm, I'm, I'm not done. With still, so. Yeah. Well, you know, it, it helps if you don't yeah, have any money to buy anybody anything. So I'm done. Yeah, there's that. Well, yeah. And I'm doing everything, obviously, like, you know, pretty minimal this year. But uh, I know it's, a, it's seriously. I'm like, everybody's getting a hug from me. <laughs> <laughs> That's what everyone's getting from me. Um, my mom, though, she's working, like getting coy stuff. And, you know, she got the dogs and toys or whatever. And. Mm-hmm. Which is fine. Like, we really only exchange gifts with, like, you guys and Jennifer and Mike, and that's about it, really. I mean, last yeah, year we I had... Yeah, just, like, this year, out. just mm-hmm. focus on the kids and I'm done. You know what I mean? Yeah, basically. Like, there's not... The like, fundage is not what it used to be, so maybe next year right. we can... Do like adults love you, stuff. but you're grown. <laughs> Buy your own shit. Right? What is um, one of my favorite things? Um, like, a, I was like, you know what? I could just give gift cards. But one of my favorite things, every time I think of giving a gift card to somebody as a gift is, have you ever seen, ever seen Mike and Molly, that show with Billy mm-hmm. Gardell? It, he doesn't know what to get her for their first Christmas together. So he's talking to his best friend, Carl, and he said, maybe I could get her a gift card. And Carl is like, you know what a gift card says? Here, you do it. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, that's kind of where I'm at this year. Like, I don't, I don't know. What, what, what would you like for five bucks? A a little Caesars? (laughs) Here's your $5 gift certificate to five and below. Right. Exactly. Blow it on anything you want. Right. (laughs) I mean. Go to the store, pick out anything. (laughs) <laughs> and you know what? I might do it for Dollar Tree, though. And then they could get five things they want. Maybe. Dollar Tree's not quite Dollar Tree anymore. It's like three fifty yeah, I don't tree. Think five and below was either, but. Yeah, I know. Yeah, they started getting stuff that was like around six, seven, eight, nine dollars. So I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, so that's what our little, um, uh, you know, unemployed Christmas is looking like this year, which is fine. I don't. There isn't any, everyone's like, what do you want for Christmas? And I'm like, I literally don't have any idea. 
Yeah. I had like yeah. two things because I knew people would ask me. And that was it. And it's so boring adult stuff. It's ridiculous. Seriously, Michael's like, gift cards so that I could buy art supplies. I have paintings I have to get done, and I don't have resin. So yeah. I need my – and resin is fucking expensive. So Michael's gift cards would be super great, cousin Cheryl. That's funny. I said that too because I have a bunch of art, and I need to get some stuff, like, framed and stretched. <laughs> and then – um, oh, I wanted a robe and some socks. That was, like, pretty – I mean, I'm really living the high life over here. Right? Seriously. I did um, <laughs> I did get a gift. At when So, Koi and I were at Jennifer's this weekend, um, mm-hmm. and I did get a gift that I was not expecting. It wasn't really a gift, but um, hold on. I need a tissue to tell the story. I'm sure it's going to happen. Um, so, Jennifer's, as everybody knows, Jennifer and I have been friends since we were eight years old, and... Um, our families are very close with each other, and we're very much a part of each other's families. And uh, so um, Jennifer's grandmother, um, who was also like my grandmother, she died in October, um, which you knew, Laura. Um, we, My mom and I went up for the, the funeral. and mm-hmm. And um, we – everybody called her Moody because um, – the German word for mother is Mutter, but when the little kids would try to say Mutter, it came out Moody. So everybody, adults, kids, everybody called her, always called her Moody. So Jennifer and her mother, um, a few weeks ago, went over to her house um, that her sons now own, two of her sons now own, um, and they were going through all of Moody's jewelry. And I guess several years ago, Janice had gone over there and had had a conversation with Moody and Moody was like, I have very specific things that I want to give that I want people to have when I die. So she and Janice made a list of everything. And, um, um, so like after, after they had gone through everything, like Jennifer got Moody's wedding band set and, um, or wedding set and Janice got, uh, her grandmother, so like Moody's mom's wedding set and wedding bands, and um, so it was a lot of her jewelry and stuff that she had wanted specific people to have. So yes, last night Jennifer comes downstairs with this little gift bag and she's like, "Here you go, this is for you." And she's got tears in her eyes, and I was like, "I don't want it." And she goes, why not? And I said, because you're already crying and you haven't even given it to me. So I know I'm really going to cry. And she's right, like, well, so you're taking so fun. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> she's like, you're taking it anyway. So she gives me this bag and it's all of us are at the table. It's Jennifer and Mike and Jared, Emma, Coy, Janice. And I'm like, okay. And so I look in the bag. It's a little bag. And I pull the tissue out and in wrapped in the tissue is a ring box. And inside it is this ring. Let's see if I can put it in there. Oh, it's beautiful. It is. It is so beautiful. And what it is is, so Moody was just as big a fan of the royal family as I was. And years and years and years ago, maybe more than 10 years ago, Moody bought... Um, from the Bradford Exchange, a replica of Queen Elizabeth II's engagement ring. And Jennifer said, 
when she told me, I was like, oh my God, I can't wait to see it. It's going to be. And so Moody always wore it. She always wore it on her wedding ring finger. So when I saw it, I was like, oh my God, that's so beautiful. It's just so beautiful. And it's a, they're lab created diamonds. Mm-hmm. And um, in 2016 was when Moody had Janice come over and designate who got what. And way back then, Moody told Janice that she wanted me to have this because I loved it so much and I loved the royal family so much. And um, so I was so blown away when I opened the box and saw this ring in there because I was really dumbfounded that she would have thought of me to to give me something that she loved so much because I loved it so much and because she loved me so much. So it was really quite emotional. And of course, I'm crying, guys. But um, so I uh, yeah, it was a really um, it was a really wonderful surprise and I love it and I'm never going to take it off. Um, So we had that little, you know, little gift giving thing and it was really an emotional weekend you know because it's the first holidays since Moody's been gone and you know it was just kind of a chance for me to go up there and see them and you know but um so yeah that this weekend was was really wonderful and really special and um I uh, I called my mom immediately on FaceTime and I was bawling and she's like, oh my God, what happened? And I was like, Moni gave me her Queen Elizabeth Ray. I was hysterical. And <laughs> so it was, yeah, it was really nice. Um, but now uh, I'm home and I am a seasonal driver for UPS and uh, they're getting busy. So I am going to be working six days a week for the, uh, at least the next two weeks. I'm not sure how, what their business levels are going to be like the actual week after Christmas before new year's, mm-hmm. but for the next two weeks, I'm going to have my ass kicked. This is a hard job. You and I were talking about it before we started recording because I've had a desk job for 25 fucking years and the last seven of those I've worked from home. So this is a complete new beast for me and I don't love it. But I'll do it because I need a job. I need money. <laughs> this house is not going to, you know, pay for itself. So I'll do it. But I'm just like, I'm already so tired tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's fucking hard. It's really hard work um, that people that you just don't realize. And for somebody like me, who's generally one, out of shape, and two, just not used to this kind of physical labor. It's it's really hard. I'm tired all the fucking time. Yeah, it does get easier, but it is really hard work. I think people don't appreciate yeah. how. No, they really don't. I know. I never hard did. your mailman delivery drivers. Besides the fact they do it in all kinds of shit weather, or in Arizona exactly. when it's hot as fuck. There is no like freaking months. way. There was. There's no freaking way I would do it. Did I you mean, see the video of the UPS guy um, passed out in his? In his van from the heat? No, in Arizona or that just was, like yeah, that was out of the out of where I where I work, which is um, kind of funny. But oh my god, no, yeah, uh-uh. um, yeah, no, there's no way. I mean, and I know, like, and I've talked to like the the driver that. Sorry, I'm just drying my eyes because I was crying, um, and I'm also sad for the UPS guy that passed out in his truck. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. The guy that I'm paired with, so I'm paired with a driver. 
And so I help him with his route. He's been delivering for UPS for 32 years. And I just can't imagine. I just can't imagine. The Like you said, all the different different conditions that they have to work in, like, you know, like hurricanes, like hurricane weather, unless there's like an actual like tornado, they're still out there, you know, delivering in this crazy weather. And I just can't. They're really, they're really unsung. They're really unsung. For real. You know? Plus, I agree 100%. what I thought was so funny is in my training, and I probably shouldn't be spilling trade secrets, but they were told they told me that above car accidents or traffic accidents, the one um, accident that UPS delivery people have are dog bites. We just had a bunch of people get bit. Really, Arizona, and um, we literally had. Um, some sort of representative come by in the morning and talk about dog bites. Somebody just got chased and almost bit like that. I work with that. I see every day. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, it's not like people are going where they're not supposed to. People leave their doors open and go walk out or they have their dogs off the leash or they, the yeah. other day, yes, I went like, to I a house. I will go into a lot of places, like, through people's gates. Like, you put a gate up to your front door, to me, that, that's where I stop. I, I will drop the package outside. Be able to get out. Yeah. Yes. Or come I out will of drop a back door or something. Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. No, I won't do it. And, in fact, they even told us, they were like, don't. The number one accident that drivers have is dog bites above car accidents. I was like, mm-hmm. are you fucking for real? So they told us, they were like, we I used don't to want think it you. It was a joke with yes the, with, the, with the postal service uh-huh. stuff, like the mailmen getting bit by dogs. Yeah, it's not a fucking no, like it's for real. Not a it joke. happens all the time. Yeah, if that's the thing that's that's harming delivery drivers more than car accidents, no. And that's what they told us. They were like, "We don't want you." They were like, "If you go to a place where there is a dog that's not secure." Stay in your car mm-hmm. and 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 at, make the owner secure the dog, or they just don't get their package. So the one day, the other day, I went, and the garage was open about a foot and a half, and there were two dogs off a leash sitting in the driveway. The minute it was on a cul-de-sac, the minute I pulled up, these dogs were growling and snarling, and I was like, "Nope," and I just. I didn't even bother to wait to holler for the owner. Nothing. I was like, I'm not even gonna try. I'm not even trying to do that. No. And what's scary, though, too, is here in North Carolina, a lot of, like, there's woods everywhere. So there are a lot of homes that are in subdivisions, but there's trees everywhere. So you might hear a dog bark, and they may not have one, but there may be somebody living on the backside of them that does, that's not secure, could run, come run through the forest that I don't see. Right. It's, it's no joke, guys. Keep your dogs secure, or you just don't get your packages. And honestly, I don't care. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I'm not doing either. I am not going to do it. No, thank you. Um, yeah, like I might not be able to feel my feet because of the neuropathy, but I don't want to lose one. <laughs> I still like to have them. Um, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Um yeah, so it's yeah, it's it's a wild um it's a wild time. But I you know what, Laura, when you're like, come do this with me, this would it's easy money and you know, there's I, I was like, No, this sounds really stupid and I don't wanna do it. But you're right, it is. 
It is. It's it's not that difficult. You get exercise. I enjoy mm-hmm. driving. I you know listening to music. It's super easy. Just about everybody is super nice. Um, as long as you don't you know have a clean driving record and your car's registered, your driver's license in the state you're delivering in, and you have insurance, then you know they want you. They need you. They need the help. So anybody that's considering doing it seasonally, I think when do they start? November, December. They start mm-hmm. hiring for seasonal yeah. drivers. Give it a shot. Do it. I like it, and it's and the money is uh, pretty good. They pay you per mile too, and we UPS are, is a good company too. They're um, union. Mm-hmm. So They're they union. Have, like, yeah. Good benefits and pretty good. Uh, I mean, if you work there for you know, right for and like, but and it's then, a good, like the it's seasonal. A good place. It is, yeah. And the seasonal folks, if you do a good job, then they consider you for other positions like within the company. So like you're one of the first that they look at because they obviously know like how you've worked for you them. Can do so it. Yeah. Yeah. That's fun. That's fun. Yeah, so um but yeah, like I said, I'm I'm not crazy about, you know, the getting out going outside and the physicality <laughs> Yeah, the God. lifting, the sanding, the the all of it. Yeah, the but stairs, the yeah. It's a lot. my stamina is improving, which of course it it would. Um, I'm losing weight, but um, the lupus medication helps with that too. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> I should be looking real fine. Come New Year's, I'm thinking. I'm all right, thinking. I'm looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got a we got a fun show for you guys on New Year's. Um, so yeah, that's that's pretty much what I've got. Uh, the ring, the job. How about you? Pretty. That's it. Okay. All right. Cool. I work a lot. Still. Yeah, you really and do. You really do. My dog is barking. That's it. And my dog is barking, and my child is occasionally barking. I hear him holler uh-huh. now and then. Um. Okay. Great. Well, guys, we are going to be doing. Um, this is a special, not really a special episode, but it's sort of a update on an uh, object that we did way back when the podcast first started in 2019. Wow, so that's a long time ago. Three years ago, yeah. So it was episode five. We covered haunted objects. Um, and the, th- ob- the objects we covered were um, Robert the Doll, the Dybbuk Box, and Annabelle the Doll. And... Um, this was back when, um, you know, obviously when Archie was hosting the show with me and we did have my best friend Jennifer on as a guest host. Jennifer was actually going to be on this episode with us so that she could hear the update of uh, the truth behind the Dybbuk box, which is what we're going to be talking um, with you guys about on this episode. Um, I did want to say that some stuff came out about the Dybbuk box in 2015. And, um, on behalf of the podcast, had we done our due diligence, uh, we would have discovered this information and we would have been able to present you with a different, um, a different, uh, set of facts, a different story, um, back then. But, uh, to that end, um, this is the true story of the Dybbuk box. So, it's uh, the same way that Laura and I do it. It's not a history and a haunting in this particular one. That is the way that Archie and I covered it um, when we first did it. But that's it's a different format this time. So generally, Laura starts it out, but I'm going to start it out this um, this week, guys, because 
Laura wasn't there for the research of it. Um, Laura wasn't there for the initial part of it. Um, so I wanted to start it out because I didn't, um, I want to own, I want to own it and, and the mistake, um, or, you know, what the, maybe not necessarily a mistake. I don't really know how to put this. Um, just, I just want to own with the podcast, the story the podcast told. And Laura wasn't a part of that. So she's going to bring it on home with, uh, what's been going on. Um, but let's all recap. Okay. Laura, you're familiar with the Dybbuk box. It is a very, very popular, um, let me go back here. Very, very popular haunted object throughout the world. So very well known. Yeah. Very well known to recap the story guys back in 2001, a man named Kevin Manis was out visiting yard sales and he was looking for supplies for his antique store furniture restoration business. He had come across a, an estate sale. And he found this old wine cabinet um, that he purchased at this estate sale. And as when he was leaving with it, the granddaughter of the woman who had died, whose estate they were selling, came out and said, oh, I see you're buying the Dybbuk box. And he was like, what's the Dybbuk box? So she proceeds to tell him that um, her grandmother was a Holocaust survivor named Havila. Um, and her grandmother had escaped um, Nazi-occupied Poland, um, where her parents, brother, sister, husbands, two sons, and daughter were all killed. Um, she and a couple of other survivors fled to Spain, and they lived there until the end of the war. Um, so Havila, who um, lived until she was 103, when she immigrated to the United States, the wine cabinet was only one of three items that she brought with her. And her granddaughter said that... Um, that, you know, I said, I, you know, I see about the Dybbuk box. He said he wasn't familiar with the term. And she told him that her grandmother uh, always kept it shut and out of reach because um, there was a Dybbuk inside the box. She had trapped a Dybbuk in the box. Now, she told him that in Jewish folklore, that a Dybbuk was an evil, restless spirit um, that possesses the living. And so this Dybbuk the grandmother had trapped in this box. So she told him that, according to her grandmother, if that the box was never to be opened, and if it was, bad things would happen. But of course, as all good stories do, he didn't heed the warning. So he takes it home, or back to his shop, and... Um, I'm he, like, did he feed it after midnight? And he he did, he did, and he got it wet. Damn it. In that order. Right. Um, he fed it, and, and then it was thirsty, so he gave it water. Uh, no, he wanted to restore it because it was kind of a beat-up box. Um, and so he was going to give it to his mother for her birthday. So he opened the cabinet because he didn't believe in the story that granddaughter mm-hmm. had said. Right, of course. Of course. So when he opened it, he found a series of weird objects um, inside. Two U.S. wheat pennies from the years of 1925 and 1928. Two locks of hair, a dried rosebud, a four-legged, like, octopus leg, candlestick, um, a golden wine cup. (coughs) Excuse me. A granite sculpture inscribed with the Hebrew word shalom. And then Shema was... um, carved into the back of the box, another Hebrew word, which was a prayer, considered to be one of the most important in Judaism. So he gives the box to his mother, and her name was Ida. He gives it to her for her birthday, which happened to be around Halloween. Um, And 
the mother immediately had a stroke. And um, so the mother, well, I first heard about the Dybbuk box on that old show on um, Travel Channel, Paranormal Witness, one of my favorite shows. But in that episode, the mother gives an interview to Paranormal Witness, and she describes feeling a cold breeze come out of the box Mm -hmm. as she opened the doors, and then experiencing pure evil coming out. And then she immediately had the stroke. And when she's giving an interview on Paranormal Witness, she does speak like a woman who has had a stroke. Mm-hmm. Um, so over the course of two years, the mother had managed to, from the hospital bed, managed to tell her son, I don't like the box. The box is evil. Get the box away from me. And I was like, okay. So for his mother's birthday, Kevin Manis gave his mother a stroke. That was lovely. Um, so nice. So Koi, you don't need to do that for me. Um, so over the course of two years, he tried to get rid of the box. So he gave it to his sister and, um, her husband, but she got creeped out because the doors kept opening on their own. Um, then his brother and sister-in-law complained of odd smells coming from the box, primarily cat urine and jasmine. Um, Weird. Right. <laughs> the new fragrance from Bath and Body Works. I mean, <laughs> I wish Jennifer were here because she's constantly ordering their soaps. Um, <laughs> so in addition, him and his siblings kept suffering from the same recurring nightmares of an old woman with sunken eyes. Um most disturbingly, he said that the brother of a store employee died by suicide shortly after visiting the shop and knocking the cabinet accidentally off a shelf a couple years mm-hmm. later. Then the worker of, took his own life, too. Wow. So at one point, he tried to give the box to his, and this needs to be noted, then-girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> right? Keep, so right? all this bad shit has happened. Hey, baby. Yeah, I think... Um, I really love you, and uh, I want you to have this. Like, it sounds like he, she was well on her way to being an ex at that time, Mara. At that right for a one <laughs> like, year anniversary. What the fuck did she do? Right, a gift that his mother didn't even want. Right, it gave you a gave my mom a stroke. You're gonna love it. <laughs> yeah, but I think you're younger and of hardier stock. You could right? probably handle it. Um, so after keeping it for some time, she forced him to take it back. Um, he then began seeing um, what he later describes as shadow things in his peripheral vision. So finally, when he could not fucking give this thing away, he decides to list it on eBay in 2003. And that's what kind of kicked off this entire thing. So um, he had a he has a background in writing, advertising and entertainment. So he wrote a very long and detailed product description with to go along with this box. Mm-hmm. And he dubbed the box a Dybbuk box. So in the eBay listing, it details how he got it, the crazy things that happened to him, his brother, sister, girlfriend, mom, um, and why he wants to get rid of it. And toward the end of the description, he writes, help me. Okay. So initially, the box was purchased by some college students at um, a university in Missouri, not the University mm-hmm. of Missouri. I don't know the name of the school, but a college in Missouri. And so they are see, they see it one night and they're like, hey, this is funny. Oh, let's get it. So the one roommate buys it and um, 
as they have it, then they start smelling the cat urine and the jasmine. But then in addition to that, these mysterious black beetle bugs started showing up in their dorm room or their apartment, whatever, wherever they were living. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of them started losing their hair. They were all plagued with nightmares. They were like, you need to get rid of this goddamn box. So they listed again. And one of the professors, this Jason Haxton, buys it. And he's, you know, he's intrigued by the box like, you know, everybody. So he um, was the director of um, the Museum of Osteopathic Medicine in Missouri. Mm-hmm. He studied American antiques and ancient artifacts for decades, and he was fascinated by this mysterious wine cabinet. So he actually would later go on to write a book about it. Uh, he was also on Paranormal Witness. Um, so was Kevin Manis. Mm-hmm. And in the book, he talks. He talks about what befell him: bleeding eyes, random choking attacks, recurring dreams of a creepy old woman in the first few months of buying the box. In addition to the cat urine, the bugs just foul all around. Mm-hmm. So that's essentially the story of the Divic box. Um, since then, it has captured the popular imagination, becoming stuff of internet legend. Uh, like I said, a number of podcasts have covered this box, including this one. Um, but it has also become the stuff of internet commerce. So you can buy Dybbuk boxes of all shapes and sizes now on Etsy, on eBay, and a website called the Dybbuk Box Store. That's hilarious. That's like right. a container store, but... But for the occult extra. or some kind of crazy shit, yeah. Mm-hmm. You can even watch people open Dybbuk boxes on YouTube. <laughs> That's awesome. Tens of thousands of viewers all the time. Um, in 2012, the most prominent of three movies about the Dybbuk box, The Possession, was produced by filmmaker Sam Raimi. And it was subsequently released with one of my very favorite actors... Jeffrey Dean Morgan. I love him so much. (laughs) So he's in it. And um, essentially, it's kind of follows the same storyline. A family comes across this wine cabinet. The little girl gets possessed. They have to work with rabbis and and, um, to save her from this horrible dimmick. That's basically the film, but much scarier. And Jeffrey Dean Morgan has like better facial expressions. So both Kevin Manis and this Jason Haxton were production consultants on the film. Okay. Okay. So at the time the movie was released, an Entertainment Weekly article published that director Ole Bornadal, I don't know, I've never heard of him, mm-hmm. he claimed that really weird things happened during production. He describes standing underneath an unlit neon light that randomly exploded and says that five days after shooting wrapped, all of the props on the film were destroyed in a mysterious fire. I also looked into this and Jeffrey Dean Morgan also said he witnessed that light exploding and then other weird things happening on set. To the point where somebody on the crew suggested they bring the real Dybbuk box to the set. And Jeffrey Dean Morgan was like, absolutely not. No. You, you, <laughs> wow. Okay. You cannot bring that box here. Yeah. Like why tempt Jeffrey kind of Dean thing. Morgan is the guy from. Uh, Supernatural and The Walking Dead. Right. The Walking Dead guy with the bat, right? Yep. Negan. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Just to make sure I was thinking the same guy. All right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he was like, absolutely not. 
So over the subsequent five years, uh, Dybbuk fever has hit an all-time high thanks to your friend and mine, famed ghost hunter Zach Bagans, um, who, if you don't know who he is, come out from under that rock. He is the host of the Travel Channel's Ghost Adventure uh, Ghost Adventure show, and now it's 900 spinoffs. So in 2016, it was revealed that Haxton sold the box to Bagans for a sum that neither party will to this day reveal mm-hmm. how much it, he bought it for. So that year, Bagans featured both Manus and Haxton on an episode of Ghost Adventures Deadly Possessions, which I've seen that episode. Is it good? No. No. Okay. Um, no. Yeah, nothing he does is good. Um, <laughs> so in, in, the, in the episode, though, he brings the box to his haunted museum in Vegas, and today it is one of the museum's, like, biggest attractions, touted as the world's most haunted object. So... A couple of years ago, when COVID hit, Bagans created a new show, Ghost Adventures Quarantine, where they investigate items, haunted items, in his museum. Okay. And one of it, uh, they did of the Dimmick box. And Bagans supposedly heard it say, Kevin, the box say Kevin. So I don't know if you've, if you've seen it or been to the museum, but Zach Bagans currently has it on display in a fairly thick plexiglass case, mm-hmm. the box is outline is like is like surrounded in salt, and there's sage all around it, and there's a camera trained on it twenty four seven, and Zach Bagans and his employees swear that they'll come in the the doors will have been shut when they left of the box, and they will be opened when they come in. They also claim that the salt line around the box is like moved from the in like from the box outward like almost like whatever's in there is trying to test like its boundary. It. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um they the show captured on camera what Bagans and his crew claimed was a figure that manifested inside the box. Um, the highlight of the episode, however, at least from the media standpoint, and I don't know if you heard about this, Archie does talk about it in our episode. Um, I remember, yeah. Was the security, yeah, camera footage of Zach Bagans and his friend, musician Post Malone, touching the Dybbuk box prior to Bagans opening it. Well, what happened was Post Malone was touching Zach Bagans' shoulder when Zach Bagans touched the box. But what followed was kind of a a series of bad luck events for Post Malone. Like, Mm -hmm. I think his plane skid off a runway, and then his Rolls Royce was stolen, and then his home was broken into. So it was just a series, and it just so happened to occur. Right after that. Right after this Dybbuk box thing. So what I do want to talk about for a minute is what is a Dybbuk actually? So... Before we talk about a Dybbuk, I want to talk about Teshuva, which is, um, in the Jewish tradition, it is repentance, essentially. Like, for Christianity, it is repentance. Um, it, teshuva is a Hebrew word that translates as um, returning. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the Hebrew words for sin is chet, which in Hebrew means to go astray. So therefore, the idea of repentance in the Jewish faith is thought to be a return to the path of righteousness. Now, 
Teshuva can be done at any time, but the high holiday season and Yom Kippur especially is considered um, a particularly auspicious time for it. The process of repentance includes three stages, confession, regret, and a vow to never repeat the misdeed. But the, the true penitent person is one who finds themselves with the opportunity to commit the same sin again, yet declines to do so. So it's a lot of prayer, charity, and fasting are also said to help one win forgiveness. So I was listening to, and I didn't mention our sources, guys, I will mention it at the end of the episode. Sorry, we just jumped right in. Um, this podcast called the Jewitches podcast. Mm-hmm. And it's this, it's this wonderful girl who basically discuss all things Jewish folklore. And I listened to her episode on the Divic box. She goes and takes Teshuva a little a step further by saying, like, for example, Laura, you um, decide to say something mean and, and a, a lie about me to somebody, whoever it is. Okay. And... The way that you, through Teshuva, what you're supposed to do is in addition to, you know, uh, confession, regret, and avow to never do it again, you take that a step further and you come to me and you say, hey, I told everybody that you weren't actually a magical unicorn and I know that was a lie. Um, and I'm really, I told people you weren't and I'm really sorry. And so then you admit to me the lie you told. Right. You then... Go and you find the people that you told Mm -hmm. the lie and you go to them and you'll be like, hey, listen, I lied about Carrie. She actually is a magical unicorn. And I lied and said she was not kind of a thing. Like you take it that step further and you you accept responsibility for what you did and what you said about me. That was horrible, mean and very untrue. I am a magical unicorn. I would never. I would never. I know you would never. Um. So prayer, again, prayer, charity, and fasting are also said to help one win forgiveness. Now, in Kabbalistic texts and Jewish folklore, a dibbik is believed to be the dislocated soul of a dead person um, returned from Gehenna, which is the spirit world in, in the, that's a Hebrew term for the spiritual world below heaven. So occasionally, a soul that has not been able to fulfill its purpose on earth or has not practiced teshuva is given another opportunity to do so as a dibbik. So say you don't do teshuva, you don't go and repent, you're not apologetic for calling me, saying I'm not a magical unicorn, and you die. Then you, your soul kind of becomes dislocated, not really fragmented, but sort of, um, incomplete. Mm-hmm. So you then choose as you then could choose to possess another living person so that you could then repair your soul. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. That's what a dibbik is in Jewish and Kabbal- Kabbalistic folklore. Okay. Um, so it's, it's, a soul that has not been able to fulfill its purpose on earth is given another opportunity to do so as a divic. Such a spirit seeks out a living person in a similar situation to itself during its lifetime and attaches itself to that person. Thus, a divic is the soul 
or spirit of a dead human being. So, and so it can be distinguished from a demon or a spirit or supernatural being such as a malevolent fallen angel. They're not demons. Right. And you cannot trap them in boxes. <laughs> well, God damn it. Yes. You cannot trap them in boxes um, because that's not where demon. They, they, Dibbics don't just, you know, float around in, you know, right. the ether looking for somebody to possess. They actually become Dibbics and then, like, from what I understand, almost immediately possess. Oftentimes it's somebody that the dead person knew. Oh, interesting. Right? Right? Mm-hmm. So, now, the reveal of the truth. So, over the course of the years, there had been plenty of skeptics in this story. Um, a lot of people in the Jewish community who knew what Dybbuk's were were like, that's not a Dybbuk! You can't do it! But nobody was listening because the story was so fascinating. Right? Right. And I admit, we weren't listening either. So... In 2004, the Los Angeles Times ran a story, and then in 2012, the Riverfront Times also ran a story that cast doubt on the legend of this Dybbuk box. Right. So in 2019... The Skeptical Inquirer magazine, an author by the name of Kenny Biddle, dismisses the haunted wine cabinet as a hoax. And as proof, he posts a screenshot of a Facebook post from Kevin Manis dated October 24, 2015, that reads, quote, I am the original creator of the story of the Dybbuk box, which appeared as one of my eBay posts back in 2003. The idea that Dybbuk boxes have some kind of prior history or history prior to my story and the idea that a Dybbuk box could contain anything other than a Dybbuk, along with any deviation to the type of contents I created that were found inside of a Dybbuk box is laughable at best. How about this? If you or anyone else can find any reference to a Dybbuk box... Anywhere in history prior to my eBay post, I'll pay you $100,000 and tattoo your name on my forehead. There were only 10 authentic and original Dybbuk boxes created ever. The term Dybbuk box was never used or known prior to 2001. I was the original owner. You may contact me and ask any questions you might have answers about Dybbuk boxes. Um... Answers about Dybbuk boxes, my experience with them, or anything related from anyone else are probably a bunch of crap. Okay. So, Mm -hmm. um, the article that um, I got a majority of this information from, it's an inverse article that was written by uh, Charles Moss, is the author. Um, And that is a heavily used source in today's episode, guys. Um, But... So he goes on Reddit and he's wanting to find more information on Dybbuk boxes and the truth and this Kevin Manis. And Kevin Manis Manis reaches out to him. So they start corresponding and and emailing on Facebook and whatever until finally Kevin Manis agrees to let be interviewed by this guy. Mm -hmm. So... um, They get on the phone and basically the author wants to know, what is it? Is it real or is it fake? So Kevin Manis quickly tells him that there is no such thing as a Dybbuk box in Jewish folklore. Again, explains the origin, the meaning of the Hebrew word Dybbuk, 
and that kind of thing, which everything I just said to you guys. Right. It's basically kind of an oxymoron. Um, Dybbuk's don't live in boxes, so a Dybbuk box, by definition, doesn't make any sense. Okay. So the author says, okay, so is there or isn't there a Dybbuk box? What is this thing? Was the whole thing made up? What is? What about the whole backstory of it coming from a Holocaust survivor? So Kevin Manis at the time goes, no, no, I'm not saying that. Um, he explains that the term Dybbuk box came from the Holocaust survivor who somehow imbued the wine cabinet with supernatural powers, adding that her granddaughter used the term when he bought it from her in 2001. But as he's telling this author this, he starts stumbling over his words and then changes the subject. Hmm. So that's how it all kind of started to come out. Come well, now, right. right. So now key player number two, this Jason Haxton, the professor guy who sold it to Zach Bagans. Right. So he, um, like I said, he is a second owner of the box after Manus. Um, Joseph Nitsky was one of the kids that bought it on eBay from Manus for $140. He was a student whose roommates had a problem with it. He sold it to Haxton, again, via eBay for $280. So in his post, he detailed, like I mentioned earlier, strange things that happened, uh, car troubles, strange smells, hair loss. He gets an online blog detailing some of these events at the time, but that's since been deleted. And now the guy is practically a ghost online. The author of this article found an email address from him, but his message bounced back. Hmm. So... Now, both Manus and Haxton received money from their work on that movie, The Possession. Um, but Haxton seems to have benefited the most from the Dybbuk box financially and publicity-wise. So he's considered the he's considered the expert on the subject, partly mm-hmm. because he had it the longest out of all of its owners, partly because he wrote a book on it, partly because he's made himself so avail- available for media appearances. Um, right. Kevin Manis says about him, Jason was very Johnny on the spot to make money off of it. Mm, But you weren't? Okay. Right. (laughs) So, Haxton, who the author of this article also spoke with on the phone and emailed several times, um, has some criticism of his own about Kevin Manis. So he says that this Haxton guy said, I think Kevin was shocked because, though he might have come up with the idea... And the concept, he would never have gotten the book written. He never finishes anything. He never would have gotten the movie done. I got red carpet treatment and everything. I was with the stars, and he was the background noise. And it probably pissed him off, but that's the way it is. And I thought, what the hell? What kind of a pissing match is this? Manus, the original guy, for his part, denies that the fame surrounding Haxton's book and public appearances ever bugged him. Huh. Yeah. So some of the rivalry between the men can be explained by the end of Haxton's book in which he calls Manus out, accusing him of making the whole thing up. But despite this assertion, Haxton believes the Dybbuk box's powers are real. Uh, his theory to that, he thinks that Manus himself cursed it using Kabbalah. That's so, an interesting take. It is an interesting take, aside from the fact that they are basically blatantly robbing, distorting, and 
screwing over these two very legitimate religious faiths. Mm-hmm. So Haxton goes on to say, did the con man get conned by God? That's seriously my take on it. Someone screwed around thinking it was funny and they were in control. It was like playing with fire until it was funny until it wasn't. Regardless of whether he made it or not, it doesn't even really matter. It had to start somewhere, but something is in there and it's bigger than Kevin. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So... Go ahead. Bring it on home and let everybody know what's what on what. <laughs> All right. So the next time the author talks to Manus, he calls him on his bullshit. And that's when he tells me everything he wrote in his 2003 eBay listing is a work of fiction. No shit. Isn't that disgusting? Mm-hmm. I'm a creative writer, he says. The Dibbic Box is a story that I created. And the Dibbic Box story has done exactly what I intended it to do when I posted it 20 years ago. Which is what I ask him. Which is to become an interactive horror story in real time, he says. Though Manus did buy the wine cabinet at a yard sale, it was from an attorney, not the granddaughter of a Holocaust survivor. Again, another disgusting thing that he added to this story. Right. The carving in the back of it is my carving, he says. The stone that was in the box is something that is a signature creation of mine also. Make no mistake, I conceived of the big box, the name, the term, the idea, and wrote this creative story around it to post on eBay. I verified this with two of his friends, Kurt Morris and Matthew Shaggy Christensen, who worked with Manus at a bar called Club Underground in Beaverton, Oregon, at the time he was concocting his story. The hair in the big box? That's my hair, yeah, Christensen confesses. Isn't that disgusting? Yeah. Kevin is one of the most brilliant people that I've ever met, Morris tells me over the phone. The specific box was Kevin at a low point needing some money, and in his brilliant mind, he came up with an incredible story that he knew would sell, and it became the phenomenon that it is now. Manis says it wasn't money issues that motivated him, but relationship problems with his girlfriend and a host of other bad luck events. He says he channeled all that negative energy into his tall tale. At the time, I created the Dibbic Box. It was during Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. He writes in a Facebook message to me, I created the box whilst praying and asking for forgiveness for all of the sins that I had committed that I knew about, and perhaps even more important, the sins I had committed that I didn't know about. Now, again, this... I love this bullshit, because essentially, like I mentioned, Yom Kippur, Teshuvah, that's what you do. Asking for forgiveness for your sins... Mm -hmm. I knew I committed ones I didn't. So you're doing this while you're creating this huge lie and involving two different religions or two different branches of a religion. Um, now you're dragging a Holocaust survivors through it because Havilah's not real either. Mm-hmm. And in an effort to be practicing teshuva, but you're blatantly shitting on the practice of teshuva. What? Mm-hmm. It's maddening. Yeah, during the time that that's what you're supposed to be. That doing. you're supposed to. Yes. What? Mm-hmm. Dear God. All right. Sorry. Go on. All right. So not everything about Manus's story was fake. However, um, quote: I did give her the box on Halloween. He tells me referring to his mother, who has since passed, and she did have that stroke. Um, But what about the interview she did on Paranormal Witness, I ask him. 
It was an outstanding bit of motherly support and an Oscar-winning performance, Manus replies. He tells me that while she was doing that interview, she was still recovering from her stroke. And if you listen closely, you can hear it in her speech. And that's kind of what you said to her earlier. Right. Mm-hmm. A thousand percent. Right. I didn't talk to her or coach her or commiserate with her before she did her interview. He later tells me that the suicides of the shop worker and his brother were real, although I have not been able to independently verify those events. Yeah. And this um, is and the, the author saying that, that right, he right. hadn't been, yeah. And the possibility of Hexen and Manus being in on the hoax together. Um, quote, I don't know Jason except through the sale and the research and everything that has to do with the box after I sold it, Manus tells me. There was certainly no collusion at any time between him and I. Uh, Manus admits he added new elements to the debate box story over the years to help evolve it, keep it relevant and interesting. Um, as Hexen did more press and the popularity of the story grew, Manus says the only way to regain control and to have vi- viable assets was to keep writing the story. So basically just keep building on the lie because it had gotten right. so far out of control. And it was, you know, out of his sphere, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> so he had to keep himself relevant in the story. Yeah. So on Ghost Adventures Quarantine, Manus told another part of his ongoing ghost story. He had given Baggins a second, smaller Dybbuk box, and on the show said there was a total of 10 boxes that were hidden around the globe. Manus explained that Havela, along with a few other Jewish women, including someone named Sophie, summoned an evil spirit to help the Jews fight the Nazis during the Holocaust, but they couldn't control it. That same spirit, Havela believed, caused some of the 20th century's greatest disasters, including the Korean War. Knowing what they had done was wrong, Havila eventually captured the Dybbuk and separated it into ten Dybbuk boxes. If the boxes were ever brought together, evil would be unleashed likes of which the world has never seen. Baggins now had two of them. Baggins, sorry. I'm like making him the, what is it? (laughs) The Baggins, the, isn't that one of the people from the Lord of the Rings? Anyway. uh, Bilbo Baggins? (laughs) Yeah. Yes. That was Baggins. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, that's... Oh My God. precious okay. box. Um, so now he had two of them while Manus had six. The last two Manus claimed were yet to be found. So, okay. Speaking of another famous book, what mm-hmm. is this reminding you of? That it's captured the Dybbuk and separated in, into 10 Dybbuk boxes. Right. It's a little Harry Potter. It's yeah. a little Harry Potter. Like, there are horcruxes all over the world. Right, exactly. Okay, good. I was like, what? That sounds just like fucking Harry Potter. Now he's just stealing straight from J.K. This man is nuts. Sorry, go on. I'm just, okay. I'm utterly disgusted. <laughs> Bacon's has been accused in the past of dramatizing. No. Even fabricating paranormal events on his shows. Manus says that while shooting Ghost Adventures Deadly Possessions, he wasn't given clear instructions as to what to expect. After getting mic'd up, Manus says he was told to go take a look at the Dybbuk box. I'm waiting and I'm waiting, he recalls. And frankly, I thought maybe they've got some kind of a technical issue. It had probably been 20 to 25 minutes and I'm saying, hey guys, what are we doing? Are we shooting or what? Uh, Manus said to be back in Portland in a couple days to do a spoken word performance featuring some children poems <laughs> he wrote. Great. I can't. I'm sure they're great. Uh, one of those poems is called The Shadow Man. 
he decides to run his lines in a British accent. He says, I forgot that I was wired for sound. It was, of course, included in the episode. After it aired, Mana says he received emails from people telling him about their own Shadow Man experiences. The Shadow Man has taken on its own life, he says, kind of like the Divic box. So, yeah, so they right, took it to mean out. that the box had, like, possessed him. Mm-hmm. Because all of a sudden he just arbitrarily starts speaking in this British accent mm-hmm. about a shadow man, right? <clears throat> so, so though, that's so dumb. So Manus claims to be an avid student of Kabbalah and Judaism in general. He denies Haxton's allegation that he put any kind of curse or spell on the wine cabinet before selling it. In fact, Manus recalls talking to Haxton over the phone and telling him the box was fake. I said, listen, man, this is a ghost story, okay? I told Joseph, the initial eBay buyer, that I'm sorry if he didn't tell you. His response to me was, Kevin, you don't have to pretend with us. This isn't to say Manus doesn't believe some of the strange things that have happened to him and other people who have come into contact with his big box. He says that though he doesn't necessarily link it to the box, Haxton... Beggins and he have all had sewer-related problems while in possession of the wine cabinet. Manus claims that while doing radio interviews with Haxton over the years, the stations experienced technical difficulties, um, and mishaps have also befallen listeners. Yeah, people, shit happens to people. Literally, shit happens sometimes. <laughs> sewer-related problems. Oh my god! I hope that you and I don't now. We'll keep you guys posted though if we do. Will we? I don't know. <laughs> anyway, um, quote, when we've done uh, radio interviews, people would call up and say, hey, my computer just burst into flames when I brought a picture of the box up. He says, a woman called up during a show one time saying that her truck had caught on fire when she brought an image up. That sounds just like bad wiring. That sounds like bad wiring. And also, were you in the middle of driving the truck and you were right. looking up photos? Like, like that's not safe. That. I have a lot of questions about that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> On the other hand, Manus says that he said people accuse him of being a grifter and a scammer. No. People because don't Because you are. Online. Right. He says they say very nasty things. Um, even when I reveal to Haxton that Manus has confessed to making the whole thing up, Haxton excuse me, maintains that everything that's happened to him because of the box is true. And ultimately, he says it's been more of a blessing than a curse. Of course it is, because you made a bunch of money off it. A bunch of money off of it, yeah. Mm -hmm. I always call it a wish box, says Haxton. Whoever created the Divic box gave it a power to do something. The creation of the Divic box and its story created a ripple effect in people's lives. Referring to Manis, he adds, the sum of the Divic box is greater than he ever imagined. The sum of his bottom line. Uh-huh. And what I wanted to know, would the current owner of the box make of Manus's admission? On Tuesday, I emailed Bagans, who initially declined to be interviewed for this piece via Haunted Museum representative, to inform him of Manus's confession that set off a flurry of communication between the two men that I later became privy to. <laughs> Manus messages me via Facebook to say he just got a call from Bagans. Not good, he writes. Not happy. And you won't believe the shit happening now around me. Seriously, like I'm getting bombarded with the curse. Then he I the genuinely that believe to him in the last week. What? I genuinely believe that Bagans probably did call him to be like, "What the fuck is this?" Yeah. Oh, I bet. And why am I hearing about it from a reporter? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe that happened, but... Yeah, so I guess a bad bunch of bad shit happened to him afterwards. He said that Good. his car broke down, his girlfriend left him, her mother died, and two of his friends passed away. I'm not going to go into the rest of the stuff that has occurred over the last seven days, he adds, but it is striking to say the least, and it keeps on coming. Despite all this, in a subsequent message, he still refers to the original Dybbuk Box story he wrote as quote-unquote fictional. Later, I hear from Bagans via email, quote, since owning the Dybbuk Box, there have been countless documented experiences people have had with it, Bagans writes, not just from myself, but my museum staff, my fellow crew members, visitors, and most notably, Post Malone. (laughs) He also claims that multiple guests have been seriously affected in the Dybbuk Box room in his museum, some of them escorted out on a stretcher by EMT personnel. I don't believe this to be the full truth, he writes in response to what Manus told me about making the story up. He cites some of the things that have befallen Manus in the past week, which Manus has also shared with him. I think there is so much more to the Dybbuk box, and regardless of its origins, it is very much cursed and evil, Biggins continues. Biggins. <laughs> I'm not surprised <laughs> that more controversy and conflict keep arising from it. The Dybbuk box has always raised questions and intrigue, and this adds to its narrative. For those who always doubted Manus's story, this article is their confirmation. For those who believe in the Dybbuk box, Manus's admission won't have much effect on them at all. No. The Dybbuk box has been the focus of books, a major motion picture, and TV shows. Biggins writes in the conclusion of his email, There is more to this powerful, cursed item. Its story is still being told. But here's the thing. This story is still being told and being added on um, and being added to on the basis of the Jewish faith, which has been proven to be incorrect. Dybbuk is not a demon. It can't be trapped in a box. So why are any of us to believe any of them anymore? I, yes, a thousand percent. Um, it, it, the... The idea, and that was one of the things, hang on, guys, I closed my notes before I gave the sources, so let's just do the sources real quick, like the Jew Witches podcast, the inverse.com article by Charles Moss, newworldencyclopedia.com, and myjewishlearning.com are all of our sources for this episode, um, which I regret not using, well, the Jew Witches podcast is new, but I regret not, well, no. I just regret I regret I, I, regret, I regret everything. <laughs> Laura regrets nothing. Um, which is something that the the Jewish's podcast pointed out as well. And I, I highly recommend you guys go in and take a listen to it because she really does go into a really wonderful explanation of what a a, a, a Dybbuk is, Teshuva and how important that is to Judaism and that essentially they're just this guy who claims to be Jewish, this Kevin Manis, why would you do that to your own faith? But then at the same time, like, a lot of people do a bunch of really shitty shit in the name of Christianity. And like, well, that's pretty normal for people to, like, capitalize on the faith. and Yeah, it's just really, really awful stuff. mysticism that surrounds right. religion. Right. right. Any religion, especially when people don't really understand it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it is a really good story. It's a good story. I mean, Um, at the end of the day, that's the one thing that he really has going for him is that this, he came up with a great 
story. Story. Yeah. I mean, it's not super original or anything. I mean, something being trapped in a box. Okay, we've been there before, but right. he did turn it into something. So, you know, kudos for you. Yeah, he did turn it into something. Um, I think it's interesting that this... And so let's, for argument's sake, devil's advocate or whatever, let's, for argument's sake, say that... Jason Haxton and Zach Bagans are correct to a point. Again, for argument's sake, guys, I'm not saying they are. But let's, devil's advocate, let's say there is something in this box now. It's not a Dybbuk. We've all learned that's not possible. But maybe there is something in this box now. Okay. There is a thing, Laura, and I don't know if, I don't think we've really talked about it much, but are you familiar with the concept of a tulpa? Mm-mm. I don't think so. So, a tulpa is essentially the the concept or the idea that somebody can come up with something, an idea mm-hmm. of sorts, and the more people hear about it and believe it and believe in it makes it become real. It it's, just sounds like power suggestion is what that fucking sounds like. <laughs> right. But in, but in mystical folklore, that thing actually becomes real. Becomes a real thing. A real thing. So right. maybe that could be it. I personally think that um, both Jason Haxton and Zach Bagans have a lot of financial investment in this box. And to admit, specifically for Bagans, for to admit mm-hmm. that it is just a, bo- a box would essentially, financially and credibility-wise, ruin him. He cannot... He's kind of in a bad position, right? We, yeah, that he man can't. Can, he can't be like, yeah. Turns out it was a bunch of bullshit. Like he can say, well, you know what? He may say it's fake, but something's going on. He can't deviate from that. Like you said, he can't yeah. back down now um, because yeah. that would ruin his career, his credibility, his reputation, his everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Haxton, on the other hand. No more movies are being made about this box because that right. box is so yesterday. There is the next new thing coming out that's scary, right? Um, and there's always will be. So Haxton's kind of done. Zach Bagans, on the other hand, is walking a much, much finer um, tightrope with this, I think. Plus, he's still making a bunch of money on it. Mm-hmm. Like, people are still going to his Vegas thing. That's still a big draw. Yeah. Um, his Again, shows about it. Shows mm-hmm. and, yeah. 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 So I think um, it was kind of shitty to drag poor Post Malone into this bunch of malarkey, but all right. Um, I'm sure Post Malone. <laughs> seems to be do- I'm sure he probably did. He seems did. like, you know, he was probably real high. Like, oh, fuck, man. <laughs> I accidentally touched the possessing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but I did it. I did it through you. It's your fault. Um, it's such a bummer. Yeah, so. <laughs> I stole my Rolls Royce, fuck. <laughs> right. I think the plane thing is the scariest. Um so yeah, guys, that is the true um, the true story of the Dybbuk box. Um, I do. I when I first started this, I was like, Jesus Christ, we did not do our due diligence 
And I did want to certainly address that. But a lot of this stuff, like this article that we used in majority of the episode, um, that, that wasn't written until 2021. And the episode, our episode was released in October 2019. So there were, there were things out there that we could have found had we done our due diligence and, and our research the way that we do it now, um, but we didn't. I'm not going to make excuses, and um, I'm not going to apologize. Just I'm just going to say on behalf of the podcast, we did a better job this time. So um, let us know what you think. Do you think that they're all a bunch of fakers? Um, and also, what do you think this does to... Because this, again, Laura, is a very popular object. What do you think this does to the credibility of the paranormal uh, industry overall? Do you think it does anything to it, or do you think it dings it a little bit, or people going to... Yeah, but I think that that happens. I mean, yeah, absolutely, I think it does. Yeah. Um, Particularly when you have somebody like um, Mr. Baggins, that... um, (laughs) That's what I'm going to call him from that one. Little Bilbo. Um, Little Bilbo. (laughs) That is, like, the probably the most well-known slash respected, I guess, in a lot of ways, person. I mean, as far as mainstream goes. Right, yeah. Um, His reputation is... So into it, readily lifts it, you know, elevates it, and then it turns out to be a hoax. It kind of... A rug pulled out from underneath. he doesn't know, how the fuck does... How does anybody else know? Right, yes, exactly. Exactly. I mean, to be honest, I still, you know, the next time I'm in Vegas, I'm for sure going to go to his museum. I still want to see it. Like, you know what I mean? I'll still go check it out. It's not like I wouldn't skip it. But hoax or not, I'm still like, what the fuck? You know, I kind of wanted to see what. I for sure will never go see that place because from what I understand, not because of what he's got in it, but from what I understand, Mm. he has jump scares in it. And I don't like those at all. At oh, all. He's got people fucking. doing jump scares. And I'm like, well, that's that on that for me. I won't be doing that. Yeah. I just, I would go just to, I mean, mm-hmm. I'd still be interested, like I said, to see it. Just to just kind of get see. the sense of it in real life, you know, is a very different thing than you can ever tell in pictures oh, or whatever. That was the other thing that I meant to tell you was that in this Jewish's podcast episode about it, the wine cabinet, like I said, like, he admitted he carved that the Hebrew word in the back. That was a friend's lock of hair, like all the stuff that was in it. The cabinet itself was a um, a bar from the 1950s. It's not a wine. It's not even a wine cabinet. It's a it's a bar from the 1950s. Some mm-hmm. like you have in your home or whatever. So yeah, interesting. Yeah. So just Again. literally everything is just a bunch of. Malarkey and mm. with regard to this particular um, object. Now, I'm going to go on record and say just because this one of one and it is one of the world's most famous haunted objects, just because this turned out to be fake, does not mean that other haunted objects we know of and we don't know of. That does not mean that they are also fake. Um, so. Just if it's in a certain museum in Vegas, there's a strong suspicion. <laughs> now, unfortunately, yes. Um, so I certainly, um, man, I bet he had got some lawyers on that dude. Ooh, if I were Zach Bagans, I, I bet he did get a fucking pissed off call from Zach Bagans. Yeah. But I bet he like, was furious. 
Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what he's going to do. He didn't buy it directly from him. Well, no, he's not. And this has been a couple, like, uh, 2021 yeah. was when the article was was um, published anyway. So, mm. anyway, I will say that. Um, that just because this turned out to be a bunch of bullshit uh, doesn't mean that other haunted objects um, that we have covered on the show and that you guys are aware of and that people, even ones that we're not aware of, things that are, are affecting people's lives on the regular, that doesn't mean that those are fake. Um, but, yeah, I, uh, apologies to the to the uh, Jewish community and, you know, because they were calling bullshit them from day one. <laughs> and nobody was listening. Everybody ignored all of these people that were like, that's not even what a dimmick is. You know right. what I mean? Like, that's mm-hmm. that's just, and oh, and to, dra- and to, to make... Uh, drag a Holocaust survivor in it, even though she was fake. No, 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 no. Don't do that. That that was even more disgusting. Or just yeah. as disgusting. Like, stop it. Let's quit. Let's uh, let's quit doing that, guys. Let's not. Mm-hmm. You know, don't 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 bring in actual people that have suffered tremendously into your disgusting story that you say you were writing during Yom Kippur when you. For when you should have been observing Teshuva. That whole part about him saying that he was doing this, doing Yom Kippur while begging for forgiveness for his sins that he committed and didn't know he was committing. And I was like, are you sure you're a Jew? Because you don't seem to know what the religion is really about. That blew, that one part blew me away. I was like, is he fucking for real with this? <laughs> so... Anyway, guys, um, yeah, thanks for hanging in with us. Thanks for checking out this episode. Uh, certainly, definitely, certainly, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, possibly, maybe, if you want to, or you probably should for sure, uh, check out the episode on the Dybbuk Box um, of Jew Witches podcast. You can get them um, where you can find us, everywhere you listen to podcasts. It's really wonderful. And um, the girl is really, you know, she knows her stuff, and she... I'm enjoying the episodes and, and the things that she covers in Jewish um, folklore. So, oh, cool. yeah, yeah. So I definitely recommend that. Uh, we did our sources, and uh, Laura, why don't you let everybody know where they can follow us uh, should they choose to do so? And I believe they will. Of course, why wouldn't you? I mean, uh, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at HOH Podcast. And further on the TikTok at HOH Carrie and HOH co-host Laura. Yeah. So anyway, that's that, guys. Thank you so much. Um, with mine and Laura's schedules being kind of all over the place and herky-jerky, um, we will still be putting episodes out every week. But um, as you're finding, we're not able to get those done on Saturdays. We're going to be just recording as we're able to, dropping them as soon as we got them. So, um it is late on a Sunday night, so this will come out first thing Monday morning, along with our Monday morning story, which we're getting ready to do here in a minute. And um, otherwise, to that end, um, as always, you know, stay safe out there because you never know who or what Dybbuk yeah. <laughs> is sitting there going, that's not even what I am. You're not telling it right. <laughs> You're not fucking listening. You're not listening. <laughs> Bye, guys.